You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll continue in our study of God's goodness in combination with the evil in the world. Evil came about from our own sinful choices. Learn why God gave us free will in his own omniscience. Let's get started. But on today, as we close this series, we're going to be tackling one of the biggest topics that came out of the survey that you filled out. And I want to talk for uh, a few moments this morning uh, from really two topics because uh, the survey results kind of came in with, with multiple headings. Uh, we want to talk about if God is good, why is there evil in the world? Another way that this, this topic came to us in terms of the way you responded to the survey uh, similarly was with this title, if God loves us, then why do we suffer? That, that was kind of how you responded. Some of you responded and said, if God loves us, Pastor, why, could you explain us, teach what the Bible says about why we suffer? And others of you responded and said, well, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? And I want to start by asking you to meet me in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 8. I hope that you've opened up your worship center app. Um, our teaching notes are out there. There's a lot that I want to give you this morning, and I think this subject necessitates that I give you uh, so that long after we have moved into different teaching and series, we got an incredible series we're starting on next weekend. Uh, God's going to make you laugh and uh, it's going to be an absolutely incredible time in God. But long after we move on from this series, I want to make sure that you have the notes so that you can go back to this and understand the heart of God, particularly on this topic. But I want to start in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, and it says this. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because... God is love. One verse, whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? Now, if you type into Google search bar, if God is good, if you type that into Google's search bar, Google will finish your search with the following suggestions. If God is good, why is there suffering? Or if God is good, why do we suffer? Or if God is good, why is there evil in the world? This is what happens if you just start typing if God is good in Google search bar. And not only that, but a few years ago, an organization called the Barna Research Group, which is an organization that studies trends, uh, studies the habits and behavior of different generations, and, and they do kind of national surveys, kind of like the Gallup organization. Uh, a few years ago, the Barna Research Group did a national poll where they asked people, if you could ask God one question and you knew that he would give you an answer, what would you ask? And the number one response that people said, if I could ask God any one question and I know that he would respond, this is what I would say. The number one question, the number one response that people said they would ask God is, why is there suffering in the world? 
Now, these automated responses from Google, the response that people gave the Bonner Research Group, they all reveal that in many ways, not only Google, but many people have a misunderstanding about the nature and about the activity of God. That's what those responses reveal. As a matter of fact, I remember when 9-11 happened, and I don't know many people that, that don't remember exactly where they were and what they were doing when those uh, planes hit the, the World Trade Center and then even uh, the Pentagon. I remember where I was. I remember what was going on at that moment vividly, just like it happened yesterday. But, but the other thing that I remember is that when 9-11 happened, there was a question that people kept asking. And the question that people kept asking was, was how could God allow this to happen? And often, that's our trend. Often our trend is when there's something good that happens, we take the credit for it. But, but when there is something that is devastating or tragic or horrific that happens, we blame God. And we ask questions like, well, well how could God let this happen. Or we, we say things like, well, well, why did God uh, let this happen? And not only was 9-11 and the circumstances around it very tragic, but then some people rushed to try to answer uh, what God was doing, and they answered it the wrong way because there were other people who said some, some horrific things like, well, God's just judging America. I heard some very irresponsible ludicrous responses because, because everybody was wondering, well, where is God and, and, and how could he allow this to happen and why, why, did, he, why did he allow this to happen? And, and this was really the, the biggest response to the Easter survey that we gave out. This was one of the biggest questions that, that many of you raised. I, I, I need to know, Pastor, I want to know what the Bible has to say about if God loves us, then why do we suffer? If, if God is good, then why is there so much evil and destruction and, and tragedy in the world. And I'm honestly very glad that you asked this question. Kind, kind of like a couple of weeks ago when, when we dealt with the subject of, of how do I live a life of purity and holiness? And I told you that I was actually surprised that this was one of the questions. But even though I was surprised, I was actually glad that you asked because it, it gave me an opportunity to really address that issue. And I feel the same way about this subject this morning. I, I'm glad that you asked this question. Because there are so many people that have a general misunderstanding about the nature of God and the activity of God, particularly as it relates to tragic or difficult things that happen in our lives, things like suffering or loss. And so that's what we're going to deal with this morning. Amen? amen? Come on, say amen like you mean it. Amen. amen. I hope some of you probably, did you get any sleep last night? Were you out partying all night? So if we're going to understand this, then the first thing that we've got to start with, number one, are the attributes of God. The, the attributes of God. Somebody say the attributes of God. I, I need you to talk to me this morning just to make sure that you didn't fall asleep on me. Amen? The, the attributes of God. What do you mean the attributes of God? Well, the Bible reveals that they're critical attributes. They're, they're critical things about, about who God is. The, the first one that the Bible teaches us is, is that God is omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing. 
Uh, Psalm 147 and verse 5 literally says that his understanding has no limits. It literally means that God is all-knowing, that he is omniscient. The, the next attribute is that God is omnipresent. I want you to stay with me because we're going somewhere. We're building this, and I've got to take my time and walk you through this. God is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing, but then B, God is omnipresent. That means that God is everywhere at the same time. Are, are you following me? Colossians 1 and 17 says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Uh, amen. God doesn't say, wait a minute, I got to get there. No, he's already there. By the time we get there, as a matter of fact, he was there before we got there. This is why in Genesis 1, it doesn't try to explain uh, the origin of God. It just says in the beginning God because God was in the beginning even before the beginning began. Because God is omnipresent. He's omniscient. He is omnipresent. But then see, he is omnipotent. This means he has all power. This is why Luke 1 and verse 37 even says, for there is nothing impossible with God. Because he is, he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Those are three of the critical attributes of God. So if you understand the attributes of God, that he is omniscient, that he is omnipresent, and that he is omnipotent, then number two, we've got to get to the actions of God. When you understand the attributes of God, you then have to deal with the actions of God. And this is where a lot of the misunderstanding this is where it comes from, because many people, listen to me, incorrectly assume that God demonstrates his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. Many people believe that he, and this is an incorrect assumption, that, that he demonstrates his omnipotence through control. Let me say it again. When you understand the attributes of God, that he's omniscient, that he's omnipresent, and that he's omnipotent, you move to the actions of God. But this is where a lot of the confusion starts because many people incorrectly assume that the way that God demonstrates his omnipotence, him being all-powerful, is through control. Many people, in other words, think, well, well God is omnipotent, which means He's all-powerful, so that must mean then that he's in control. And if he is in control and something bad happens, then it means that God either caused it or he allowed it to happen. Say with me, because we, we think, well, he's all-powerful, and that means he must display his power through control. So if something bad happens, then God either allowed it or he caused it. And then we jump to, to another incorrect conclusion and we start asking questions like, well, how could God allow 9-11 to happen? How could God allow my loved one to, to die unexpectedly? Or, or how could God allow my marriage to fall apart? Or how could God allow so much suffering in the world? Or, or how could God allow uh, this to happen? Because we incorrectly start making assumptions. You following me? Recently, I overheard a conversation between a woman who was honestly looking for God and a believer. 
And, and this woman asked this believer, she, she found out that this person believed in God and was a follower of Jesus Christ. And she said, so, so can I ask you this question? And I, and I was just listening and they didn't even know who I was or fact that I, I was in ministry and I just listened because I thought that the conversation, I, I was really kind of wondering how are they going to address this? And the woman asked this believer, she said, now here's a question I've been wanting to ask uh, someone who follows Jesus. And a believer said, sure, sure, sure. Fire away the question. And she said, if God is good, why do bad things happen? And then the believer took a second, thought about it, and then gave a very churchy traditional response. The believer said, well, God is in control. Just trust God. Real churchy, traditional response. Well, 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 God's in control, so just trust God. Then a woman thought about it for a second, and she responded and said, see, she said, my problem is I can't trust a God who allows for child abuse. She, 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 she received what the, what the churchy response was, but it didn't satisfy her, her question. She said, that, that's why I'm struggling. She said, because, because I don't think I can trust a God who allows child abuse. And, and I'm dealing with a heavy subject this morning that you asked for, but I want to walk you through this slowly because some of you are wrestling with the same issue that this woman is wrestling with. Some of you have gone through indescribable pain. Some of you have gone through devastating heartache, things like the loss of a child or you've gone through chronic illness or some of you have been suffering and maybe even suffering silently for, for a very long time or some of you have been wrestling with God. How could you allow my loved one to go through what they have been through? And I'm not here to give you a churchy traditional answer. I'm here to give you what the word of God has to say about it. See, the reason why that churchy, traditional response that that, that that believer gave that woman, the reason why it didn't help and the reason why she felt like, well, I still can't trust uh, God like that is because both of those responses came from a misunderstanding of God's actions. Both, both responses. Well, well, God's in control. Just trust. Both respond. I mean, it sounds good and it's some, you know, kind of church banter. We, 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 we try to bandy around. But, but it came from a misunderstanding of God's actions. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, that's what I'm going to teach you this morning. The greatest demonstration of God's omnipotence, the greatest demonstration of God's power is not control, it's love. I'm going to say it again because I want you to get this. And I want to give you time to type it in your notes or write it in your Bible. Listen to me. And I pray your heart is open to receive this. The greatest demonstration of God's omnipotence, the greatest demonstration of God's power is not control. It's love. What do you mean? Well, John 10 and verse 30, Jesus literally says, I and the Father are one. He's literally saying that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know how the Father behaves, look at me. He even goes on and says in John 14 and verse 9, he says, anybody who's seen me has seen the Father. So if you really want to understand the heart of God and how God behaved, the greatest picture is Jesus Christ. 
Now, Jesus never controlled anybody. Jesus never twisted anybody's arm and forced them to do. Jesus literally knew that Judas was going to betray him, but he didn't force Judas to get right. He didn't say, now, Judas, I know you, you're here at the table with me, Judas. And I think, you know, I, I, you think you're fooling me, Judas, but I know what you're going to do. And I want to give you an, an opportunity to straighten up. He didn't, he didn't twist Judas's arm. Peter said, I'll, I'll go to the ends of the earth with you, Jesus. But Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. He didn't force Peter to do right. He didn't twist his arm. He didn't try to control him. Jesus never controlled anybody. He never twisted their arm. He never forced them to do something that they did not want to do. Are you following me? This is why uh, scriptures, like the one we looked at at the very beginning, 1 John 4 and 8, is really, really important because it literally tells us who God is. And it says that God is love. Why is this important? Because God never behaves in a way that is contradictory to who he is. This is why, for an example, Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie. It literally means that God cannot lie because, because he is truth. He is light. There is no darkness in him. There is no such thing as lying in him. So he cannot behave in a way that is outside of who he is. So 1 John tells us that God is love, which means God is not suffering. God is not heartache. God is not pain. That, 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 that God, God doesn't, doesn't do things in a way that is contradictory to who he is. Well, who is he? He is love. Which means what he does is in line with who he is. This is why in Genesis 1 and verse 31, stay with me. When God created the world, it says that, that, that God saw all that he had made, everything that he had done when he hung the stars in the space and when he created uh, the seas and the land and when he caused uh, the trees to emerge and when he created the birds and the animals. When, when God saw all that he had made, notice what he said. It was very good. So God created the world. He created the universe, looked at everything that he made. And then Genesis says that here's what he said about it. Oh, that's not just good. Oh, that's very good. So here's the question. If God is love, meaning if God is not, is not evil, not suffering, not pain, he's not the author of that. If, if what God created in the very beginning was good, then where did all of the suffering and the evil come from in the first place? I know, I know that's what you're thinking. I'm tracking with you, Pastor. But I need you to answer that question. If God is love, if what he created is good, then where did all the problems come from? Where did, where did the hate and the prejudice and where did all of the evil and the suffering come from? I'm glad you asked the question, even though you don't want me to know you're asking that question. The answer has to do with the fact that God gave us as human beings free will. I'm teaching better than you responded, but that's okay. You don't have to say anything to me. I want your heart to be open and I want you to get this because this is not just for you. This might be for, for your grandmama and them who should have been here, but they still are sleeping. 
Maybe you'll see them this afternoon, or maybe you know people that have been carrying a bitterness because they haven't had this question answered, and this is the word of God for them. How did all of this evil come into place? If God is love, and if he created something that's good, it came because God gave human beings free will. Why did he give us free will? Because the desire of God is for us to love him and love others. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, and God literally uh, says, it's called the Shema. It's, it's, it is the, the quintessential verse at the heart of, of, of Israelite understanding and Jewish culture. Hear, O Israel, that the Lord your God is one, and it goes on to say that you are supposed to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And then Jesus even adds to it and says, and love your neighbor as you love yourself, and then picks up again and says, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love others as I have loved you. He says, by this, everybody will know that you are my disciple. What does he mean? What does God desire? He desires love vertically and horizontally. He wants us to love him and he wants us to love other people. Now, in order for love to really be love, it cannot be coerced. It has to be of your own free will. The only way that real love can be demonstrated is that you and I have to make a choice to love. Are you following me? That's where free will comes from. That's why you got to have it. Because if you do not have free will, then you don't have the choice to choose to love or to not love. Real love always involves a choice. Okay, let me explain it this way. Back in the day, I remember there used to be these dolls. My mother, um, for a couple of years, when I was really small, worked for the Mattel company. And so she would bring home, you know, toys because she just got them as perks. So maybe she had to uh, help test certain toys. And I remember there was a doll that she brought home for my sister that, that you would pull the string of the doll and the doll would say, I love you. You pull the string and the doll would say, I love, I love you. Here's the question. Did that doll really love my sister? No. Why? Why not? Because it was programmed to do so. It was programmed that every time you pulled the string, it said, I I love you. That's not real love. The doll didn't have a choice. It had to say, I love you. What am I trying to teach you? For you to really express love, you have to have the ability to make another choice. You you, you have to be able to either choose not to love in order for your expression of love to be real and to be true. And God, in his omniscience, knew that. So God created us with free will. God says, I want you to love me and I want you to love your neighbor, but I'm not going to program you to do it. I'm not going to twist your arm and force you to do it. I'm going to give you the ability to choose to do it because unless you choose it, it's not real. But the, the, the problem, though, is that we have abused the free will that God has given us. We, we've, we've abused the free will that God has given us, and we have walked away from God. 
Media team, I need a little bit more time. Can I just walk through this, y'all? All right, I, I've been gone for a little bit, so let me just settle back in and teach this the way that God has given it to me. Can I do that this morning? Here's the problem. We've abused the free will that God has given us. We've rejected him. We walked away from him. And the result of that is that it opened the door for two kinds of evil to come into the world. When, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they, when they voluntarily chose not God, but the enemy. When they rejected God and walked away from him, the result is that there were two kinds of evils that entered into the world. The first kind of evil is a moral evil. Hope you're taking notes. There was a moral evil that came into the world. Moral evil, what do you mean? Moral evil is the immorality and the pain and the suffering that results from, from our choice to do it our way instead of God's way. Our choice to be selfish and arrogant and uncaring and abusive. This is why Romans 3 and 23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It literally means that all of us, out of our free will, made decisions to choose something else other than God in his way, and it has resulted in us hurting ourselves and hurting other people. As a result, literally, uh, it's been said by, by certain researchers that, that somewhere around 95% of the suffering in this world is the result of the sins that we have committed against ourselves and against other people. For, for an example, we produce enough food on this planet to give every man, woman, and child not only three meals a day, but somewhere in excess of 3,000 calories a day. But because of our own selfishness, because of our own irresponsibility, there are people in our world that are starving while there's literally plenty of food to go around. Are you following me? So, so I could either take this hand and I can pick up a gun and shoot somebody and harm them, or I can take this same hand and I can feed someone who's starving to death. But if I choose to pick up a gun and harm someone, then we come back and say, how could God allow that? Well, no, no, it's not God. Where was God? He was in the same place he was. Well, how did this happen? Because, because I made a stupid decision. You don't want to talk to me. To pick up a gun and try to harm somebody. This is part of the reason why we encourage you. I know this is a challenging weekend and, you know, some of you got Frankie Beverly and uh, who else was here? Uh, Mint Condition and all those folk on your mind. But, 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 but listen, this is part of the reason why, maybe with the exception of this weekend, <laughs> but, but every other weekend we encourage you to, to, to bring somebody with you, to share your faith. Don't come to church by yourself. Why? Because we want to make sure that people really get to know Christ. Everything we do in this ministry is designed so that people can, can know Christ. We want you to bring someone with you. Go to Growth Track and get in a small group. You hear us talking about that every week. Why? Because we know that when people really get to know Christ, they'll make different decisions. And when they make different decisions, there won't be as nearly as much suffering and hurt and evil and disappointment in the world. Because when we made the choice to turn away from God, we opened the door for 
not only moral evil, but the second evil is a natural evil. What do you mean natural evil? Things like earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, you know, Hurricane Michael, Hurricane Florence, Hurricane Katrina, those natural phenomena that cause pain and cause suffering. These things began to happen as a result of sin entering the world. How does sin enter the world? Because of a choice we made because God gave us free will to love him and to love others. When, here's what I want you to understand. When sin entered the world, it just didn't affect us. When sin entered the world, it, it impacted the world. It brought a curse on the world. It, it impacted nature. It impacted the climate. Weather was affected. The earth was, 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 was cursed as a result. Things like genetic breakdown and disease began. Pain became part of the human experience when sin entered the world. This is why Romans 8 and verse 22 says, for, for we know that up until the present time, literally all of creation is groaning with the pains like the pain of childbirth. It says that creation is literally groaning. What is, what's happening when, when all of these hurricanes are popping up? Creation is groaning. What, what's, what's happening when, when you have to get deep into September, deep into October for fall to come, when normally fall comes much earlier because creation is groaning. What, what's happening where, 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 where the earth is warming up at an unprecedented rate and the, the polar ice caps are melting and, and global climate change is being felt in a variety of ways. The earth is literally groaning. When did this happen? It all started with sin. So I, I know some of you are thinking, well, well, okay. I, okay, pastor, I, 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 okay. But you did, see, you messed up when you said God was omniscient, see. So I, I, I was tracking with you, but, but here's what I can't get past. If God was omniscient and all-knowing, didn't he know that when he gave us free will, couldn't he have foreseen if nothing ever occurs to God since he's omniscient? Couldn't he have seen that we would rebel against him? Couldn't he have seen all of that in advance? Riddle me this, riddle me that, Pastor. The answer is, of course he did. So why did he then still go ahead and create the world and allowed for, for, for this kind of evil to come in? Well, I, I'll explain it this way. When... My wife and I got ready to have our first child, Eden. We were excited about starting our family, and God blessed us, and she became pregnant. But what we did not understand is as Eden began to grow in my wife's belly, that my wife developed something called preeclampsia. And what we didn't find out until she had a doctor's visit, and the doctor immediately put her in the hospital and put her on bed rest, was that my wife was really close to dying because the preeclampsia had affected not only the growth of Eden, but also my wife's blood pressure. And the doctor ultimately said, we, we actually thought we were going to lose you. you. You were walking around and you were at stroke level. At any moment, you could have had a stroke. And, and, and our daughter was born severely premature. My, my wedding ring could fit around her, her wrist. That's how tiny she was. And, and praise God, she's a miracle child. God healed her. My wife is fine. My daughter is fine. But then when we got ready to have our next child, Ethan, here's what the doctor said. He said, now, you made it through the first pregnancy. It is a miracle that Eden is alive. It's a miracle, Ty, that you're still with us. 
said, now, I know you guys want to have another child. He said, I don't know that I would encourage you to do that. He says, watch this, because there's a 50-50 chance that the, the next child and the next pregnancy could end up just like the first one. He said, so you guys got to choose. He said, I, I can't advise you either way, but you need to know that if you, if you try to have another child, chances are, 50-50 chance, that, that your wife could get preeclampsia again. The baby may not make it. She, she, she may uh, end up losing her life in the process. But when we prayed about it and thought about it, we, we said, but no, let's take that chance. Because the possibility to have um, another baby that could, that could, could, could grow into to a young man or a young person uh, that would glorify God, the opportunity for us to love not just one child, but two childs was, was an opportunity that we wanted to pursue. So we said, even though there's a chance that something negative could happen, we're still going to go after it. What, what am I trying to tell you? The same thing is true with God. He, he knew in his omniscience that there would be some people that would rebel against him. But he also knew that there was a chance that there would be many people that would choose to follow him, that would choose to love him and love others and glorify him. And so it was all worth it. So much so that he was willing to send his own son, Jesus, to the cross to die for those who have not yet to choose him, who have not yet chosen to love him. So I want you to understand, number one, the, 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 the attributes of God. God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's, he's um, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But God doesn't demonstrate his omnipotence through control. He demonstrates it through love. So then the ultimate question has got to be answered then with the agency of God. Thirdly and finally, the, the agency of God. We understand the attributes of God. We, we understand the activity of God. But now we've got to deal with, thirdly and finally, the agency of God. What, what, do, what do you mean? By agency, I mean in light of the fact that God gave us free will, in light of the fact that it is our choices that's, that's led to the evil and the suffering then how does God work in all of it? But by agency, I mean, what, what, is, what is God doing in, in the midst of all of this? Let me be clear. God doesn't cause suffering, but he does work through it. Oh, this is so good. God, okay. God doesn't, doesn't desire to cause us pain. God's desire for us is really clear. Jeremiah 29 and 11. I know the plans that I have for, towards you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God, God doesn't desire to cause us pain, but here it is. But he still works through it. That's the agency of God. And here's one of the things that, that I don't know who this is for, but it's, it's for somebody this morning, and this is your word from the Lord. Listen very closely. Your greatest contribution in the world, your greatest ministry, your greatest service is not going to come through your strengths. It's going to come through your pain. I, I don't know who this is for, but, but, but somebody needs to hear this. The very thing that you, you, you least like to talk about in your life, the very thing that you are the most embarrassed about, the very thing that you want to hide in, in your closet, that you don't want to think about, that you don't want people to know that you've been through, is the very thing that God wants to use the most in your life. I, 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 grew, up, I grew up angry. 
grew up very mad as a young man because my father was not around. My mother and father divorced when I was six months old. And I grew up mad and bitter because I, I, I wanted my father to be around. I wanted him to teach me how to be a man and how to do this. And, and all my other friends and buddies had their fathers in their life, but my dad was never around. And I grew up angry and bitter, and, and, and there, were, there were nights, countless nights, and I would pray and ask God to bring my father home, or God, why is my father not there? And even as a child, I would try to con- concoct ways to y- reunite my mother and my father. They weren't having that. But I kept asking God, why, why, why? And it wasn't that God caused my dad to leave. My dad made stupid decisions out of his own free will. He chose to do what he did, but God used that pain because I don't know that that I would prioritize marriage or, or that I would lean into the opportunity to be a father and to be a husband the way that I do now if it were not for that pain that I experienced growing up. Do you hear what I'm trying to tell you? God took one of my greatest pains and used it for me to give him glory on this side of the experience. Who am I teaching to? So, so, so what do you mean the agency of God? How does God, how does God use my pain and my suffering, even though he doesn't cause it? How does he use it? Well, uh, number one, I want to give this to you really quickly. God uses pain and suffering, here it is, to draw people to him. Let me hurry up. Y'all still with me? God uses pain and suffering to draw people to him. One great theologian once, once asked the question, what's the meaning and the purpose of suffering in history? And he responded and says, it's simple, it's repentance. It leads us to repentance. Another great theologian said it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. Oh, that's so good, I gotta say that again. One, one theologian said it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but, but God shouts to us in our pain. Oh, that's so true. P- pain pain is, is kind of like God's megaphone. It's, it, it's alarm bells. When there's, when there's pain and suffering in your life, it, it, God, God uses it to say, hey, 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 I want to get your attention. When, when there's pain or suffering in, in your relationships or in your marriage or in your finances or in your physical body or, or anywhere else, it's God's megaphone. God is saying, hey, 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 can I get your attention, please? It's an alarm. It's a warning light blinking on the dashboard of your life saying you need service. Why? Why? But because the truth is we will rarely change, listen to me, until we feel the pain. hmm. But but because for for many of us, um, initially there is a fear that exceeds the pain. Well, I don't want to deal with that. If I deal with that, this might happen, or, or I don't know if I could do it. So we allow fear to control us. I don't want to have that conversation. I don't, want to, I don't want to deal with this subject for fear of how things are going to turn out. But then there comes a point where the pain becomes so great that the, the pain exceeds the fear. And sometimes we won't change. We won't address what needs to be addressed until we get to a point where the pain exceeds the fear teach pastor I'm doing it and what I'm trying to tell you is that 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 even though God didn't cause the pain there's purpose behind it even though God didn't cause it he's using it 
for your glory and for his good. And some of you can't say amen right there, but let me just talk about my own experience. I know that's the, that that's been the recurring theme in my own life. I wish, I wish you, you, you'd just be real with me for a second. It, there are times when things are going well, when everything is lined up the way we want it. The sun's shining, the money's rolling in, marriage is wonderful, the job's great. In those seasons, if you're not careful, you act like you don't really need to turn to God. Oh, but when the pain becomes greater than the issue or the pleasure or the fear, that's when we begin to fall on our knees and say, God, wait, wait, wait a minute, God. I need you. I can't make it without you. God, God, I, I need your, your touch. I need your healing. I need you. Let me show this to you. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 says this. It says, for God sometimes uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek eternal life, we should never regret his sending it. I often tell people, whatever it took for you to get to God, it was worth it. Let me say that again. I, I want you to hear this. I often tell them, whatever it took for you to get to God, it was worth it. You, you know, the prodigal son, after he lost everything and he's in this pig pen and he, he's got nothing, he squandered everything. And, and, and as a Jewish person, he shouldn't even be near pigs, but he finds himself in the pig pen longing to eat what pigs eat. I mean, he falls from the top to the very bottom. And it says that it was in that moment that he came to himself. You missed it. Whatever it took for you to come to yourself, it was worth it, but, but you don't know what I've been through. What God says is it doesn't matter what you've been through as long as you come to yourself. Because when the prodigal son came to himself, he said, wait, wait, wait a minute. I got stuff at my daddy's house. There's food, there's provision, there's clothing in my dad's house. Let me pick myself up, turn it around and get back to where I'm supposed to be. And the Bible says that when his father saw him a long way off, his father started celebrating, saying, go, go kill the fatted calf. Give me the ring. Go get the coat because my son that was lost has come home see you're busy thinking about what you lost but what I'm trying to tell you is that whatever you lost still pales in comparison to what the father's got for you whatever you lost your father still got more that he can bless you with but he's waiting on you to come to yourself oh that's so good can you take any more should I just stop right here Here's another thing, since you, you asked for it. God uses pain and suffering to shape our character. The ultimate desire of God is he wants us to look more and more like Jesus. This is Romans 8, 29. It's not in your notes, but for those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. The ultimate desire of God is that every day, every moment, the way you think, the way you speak, the way you behave, you look more and more and more like Jesus. So God doesn't cause the suffering of the pain, but he'll use it to continue to shape you, to mold you, to look more and more like Jesus. This is Romans 5 and 3 that says we also rejoice in our sufferings. Here it is. Why? Because we know that suffering, something about suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. I was walking through the airport a couple of weeks ago. 
ran into somebody that I hadn't seen in, in some time. We were catching up right there in, in the Atlanta airport. I was going through Atlanta on my layover, going to wherever I was going. And one of the things that the person said is they said, wow, you look amazing. You've lost some weight since the last time I saw you. And I said, well, yeah, praise God. And we continued to talk about, about everything else. But what I was thinking in my mind is that what they don't understand is that, is that I've been a part of this small group that my wife has been doing where, where there's a 100-day challenge where you got to work out at least 30 minutes a day for 100 days straight. And, and that I, I have, been, have been eating like I want to eat. You know, I've been passing by Krispy Kreme and Dunkin' Donuts and, and, and all of that because I know that when I work out, I'm going to pay for it. And, and, and has it been fun? No. But still, get in a small group. Get in a small group. <laughs> but has it been fun? Not necessarily. But have there been benefits? Absolutely. It's the same way. With our character growth, sometimes it takes sacrifice, it takes trials, it takes difficulty for us to look more and more like Jesus, but it is necessary. Oh, I wish I had more time. I'd keep pressing this right here. Mm, The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience. This is Hebrews 5 and 8, by the things that he suffered. Now, if he was a son of man and he learned obedience through the things he suffered, what makes us think that we're going to grow without some kind of difficulty? God, why? Why am I going through this? God said, I, I, I know, but I'm, I'm using it. Have you looked in the mirror lately? You look more and more like my son because I'm using it to shape you. Some of you, you have the testimony when, when you've been in situations similar to what you've been in before and you see that your response is different. You're like, what's wrong with me? I don't know. There was a time that I would respond this way. There's nothing wrong with you. There's something right with you because you've been growing. You've been being molded and shaped to look more. There was a time when somebody would say something to you and all manner of, of expletive would come out of your mouth. But now you've grown to the place where you can say, well, God bless you anyhow, and, and I'll pray for, I'll pray for you, even though you despitefully used me. How did you get there? God's been using suffering to shape you, to mold you. Let me give you something else. I'm looking at the clock here. God uses pain and suffering to lovingly discipline his children for their own good. I'm trying to hurry up. Hebrews 12, look at this in verse 10. It says, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I don't have time to really unpack this, but I want you to understand this. We usually associate discipline as something that's bad. When really discipline is good. Part of the reason we don't think that discipline is good is because we confuse discipline with punishment. This is so good. Punishment is retribution for bad behavior in your past. Discipline is the loving way that we correct somebody's behavior for their future. You missed it. Punishment is retribution for misbehavior in your past. Discipline is when we lovingly correct someone in their present because we want their future to be better. 
One time I had to discipline Ethan, and he played the Jesus card on me. I was going upstairs. He said, go in your room. Getting ready to discipline you. He started crying. <laughs> when I got up there to discipline him, he played the Jesus card. He said, mercy. <laughs> he said, Father, mercy. Please be merciful. I, 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 he messed me up. <laughs> it just messed me up. But I did discipline him anyway. But, but, but do I like disciplining my kids? Absolutely not. I don't like it, but I do it because I love them enough that I want to protect them from a messed up future. So, so I discipline them, not because I don't love them. In fact, I discipline them, listen to me, because I do love them. And I want the path that they're on to be corrected so that they can step into the future that I know that God has for them. I don't, I don't have time to finish this. But think about Joseph for a second. Joseph has a dream from God. He starts telling his brothers and his family about the dream. They get mad, they get jealous, and they throw him into a pit, leave him for dead, and he's in, he ends up in slavery. And from slavery, and Potiphar's house goes to prison. He's left to languish in prison for far too long and ultimately is promoted to the palace. Now, Psalm 105 and verse 16 says this. It says that God called down a famine on the land and destroyed all of their supplies of food, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. You missed it. You missed it. His brothers thought that they were getting rid of him because you, you think you all of that because God gave you a dream. Imagine how Joseph felt. I can't believe. My family did this to me. I can't believe I didn't do anything wrong and they treated me this way. That's how some of you feel. I, I, I don't know what I did to deserve this. I don't understand why I'm having to go through this discipline or whatever you want to call it, pastor, but it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel comfortable. Now, now you are only looking at the small perspective that you have. God is looking at the bigger picture and Psalms didn't say that God caused him to be sold. It said God sent him ahead. Y'all, you missed a good place to shout. I guess you're still sleepy. Some of you think that you were sold out when you were really sent ahead. So some of you have been bitter because you think that people did stuff to you and all they really did was pay the airfare uh, for your destination. Meaning God said, I'm still using this to get you where I'm trying to get you. You have a palace anointing on your life, but I gotta use this season that feels like discipline to prepare you for where I'm trying to take you. Hallelujah. Why am I being disciplined, God? I don't, it doesn't feel comfortable. Why am I having to go through this? God says, because you got a palace anointing on you. And you cannot have a pit mentality. You cannot have a prisoner outlook when you are destined for the palace. I don't know who that's for, but I hear God saying he's molding and shaping your mentality, your attitude, because you cannot think like a prisoner living in a pit when you are destined for the palace. Teach Pastor Van. I'm teaching better than you're responding. I'm going to close with this. Come on, praise team musicians. I can't, I can't finish it, but I want to give you this. 
God works good things out of the negative experiences in life. I'm going to close with this. No matter what you've been through, listen to me if your heart is open. God didn't cause the suffering. God didn't cause them to make a bad decision that, that affected your marriage. God, God didn't cause them to do what they did, but God can still use it. And one of the things that God will use it for is he'll bring good out of even the negatives of life. How do you know this, Pastor? Because he made a promise to a certain group of people. In Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. I love it. The first thing the verse says is, and we know. This is not a possibility. This is not conjecture. This is not a hope. This is something we know for certain. You don't have to psych yourself up to get this. You don't have to dream to get this. Is, this is a certainty. This is a confidence. We are assured of this. What do we know? That in all things, God works for the good. Can I ask you a quick question as I'm closing? What does all mean? All. Everything. Does that include your mistakes? Yes. Does it include your sins? Yes. Does it include your stupid decisions? Yes. Does, does it include painful things like, like divorce and cancer and miscarriages? Yes. Does it include hurts from other people? Does it include the death of loved ones, friends, parents? Yes. God says, I didn't cause it, but I can work in it. I, I, I didn't cause it but I work in it. And, and it doesn't say, listen to me, it doesn't say that God caused all things. It doesn't even say that everything in life is good. No, 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 no. Rape is not good. War is not good. Leukemia is not good. Getting, getting strung out on drugs or kids leaving their family, that's not good. But God, but God, he doesn't say that I caused all of that. He says, but I'll, I'll, I'll use all of that. And, and he says that they work together, not separately. <sighs> that they, they work together. There are a lot of bad things in our lives, hurtful things in our lives, individually. But, but when God is done working it together, he can work it out together for your good okay my, my grandmother god bless her soul used to make me a marble cake vanilla and chocolate is my favorite cake it's a marble swirl cake every time we go to my grandmother's house for sunday dinner she would make a marble swirl cake because because when i was coming over she knew that her grandbaby that's that's what i loved now here's the thing the individual components of a cake are horrible Flour by itself, yuck. Raw eggs by themselves, no way. Crisco by itself, I don't think so. But when my grandmother would mix all of that stuff together, she'd take the individual things that by themselves are bad, but she would mix it together and then what she would do is she would give me a, a foretaste 
of something good that was coming because, because when she would mix it all together, she'd let me lick the beaters. Uh, I know y'all, y'all don't know nothing about that, but, but, but there, there'd be that cake batter, and, and, and when the cake was in the oven, she'd say, baby, before I wash these, you want to lick the beaters, and I would be in there like, uh, uh, and, and what the taste from the cake batter told me is that when the cake was out of the oven, oh, it was going to be some good eating right there. What am I trying to tell you? If you look at the stuff you've been through individually, it may not make sense. But when God finishes mixing it together, and every now and then, he'll give you a foretaste of uh, licking the beaters that are coming. Is there anybody that hears what I'm trying to tell you? Have you ever gotten up saying, God, I just want to thank you? Because it wasn't bad by itself, but when you mix it all together... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's your testimony. That's why I praise him. Yes, I've been through divorce. Yes, I've been betrayed. Yes, I've been left alone and talked about. But God mixed that thing together so that I can still give him glory. That I still will be able to say God made it. Made it out of, out of messed up stuff. He took it and he turned it around. High five somebody, tell them that's why I'm praising them. High five somebody near you, tell them that's why I'm blessing them. Not because I've been through individual stuff that's been good, but God took that. He took divorce. He took lies. He took the children out of wedlock. He took it and he mixed it all together. And now look at what God has done. Oh, taste and see that the Lord. Lord is good. Hallelujah. 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 I don't know who this is for. You may not be at that place where you're able to lick the beaters yet, but you got to learn how to give him praise on credit. You, you got to know that God says, this is a promise that I will do for everybody that's given their life to him. He says, he, he works it together for the good of them who love the Lord. And he'll call it according to his purpose. If you don't know Jesus and if you don't love him, you can't hold on to this promise. If you're still trying to live by yourself and live for yourself, this promise doesn't apply to you. But if you love the Lord and if you've opened your heart to him, this promise is yours. I don't care what it is that you've been through. I don't care how bad it's been individually. When God gets through with it, he will work it for your good. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.